0: Welcome back to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. Two episodes in one week, we are on a roll, and today's topic is exercise selection. So we know BFR can be a powerful tool for building muscle while training at lighter loads or with less weight, but we often get the question, well, that's great, but what exercises or movements should I do? And in this episode, very similar theme, we're gonna provide a framework for how you can systematically come to your own conclusion On what the best exercises may or may not be when you're training under BFR instead of just simply providing a list of exercises that said we are going to go through each body part to some degree and provide a bit of a starter list for you uh, including guidance on rep ranges rest intervals what you should look for etc so let's get right into this and it's important to note that although BFR is a specialized modality Uh, it should still adhere to standard principles of good exercise selection as they apply to traditional resistance training as well so when we're thinking about any exercise blood flow restriction or not uh, there's a few things that we need to run through to help identify is this exercise or movement advantageous for building muscle and we're going to get into that specifically i promise this will tie into bfr uh, but the first kind of prerequisite this is like bare minimum is does this movement allow you to sufficiently produce force through the target muscle? Sounds very obvious, which is why, you know, when you see something like uh, this is very common on Instagram, especially with pro athletes, unfortunately, you'll see somebody doing something like a one leg stand with a resistance band pulling you one direction, a blindfold on and another resistance band pulling you the other direction and the athlete's doing a, a single arm cable fly which perhaps the athlete or their trainer has some sort of unknown goal in doing that but in general if you were to look at that exercise as it relates to building muscle in the chest the lack of stability does not allow that athlete to put any sort of meaningful force through their chest uh, terrible exercise for building muscle in your chest so I guess our prerequisite is, does this allow you to sufficiently produce force through the target muscle? So stability is a factor, and that's just important to reference. But once we've established that an exercise or movement allows us to put sufficient force through the target muscle, there's there's more to consider. That's that's step one. And there's no better guide to this than Mike Isratel's stimulus to fatigue ratio indices. And stimulus to fatigue ratio, we've talked about this briefly on the podcast, I've talked about it before, but it says that for every exercise, we know that there should be some level of stimulus, right? We shouldn't, there's no point in training if we're not providing a stimulus, whatever that stimulus is. But for every bit of stimulus comes a certain amount of fatigue. So we've all seen this uh, in in the session. So as you, if you do a set to failure on bench, you It's very unlikely that you'll be able to repeat a second set at that same weight with the same amount of reps uh, because we start to fatigue in the session. And then over time, days, weeks, months, fatigue accumulates. And the training is really a balancing act, sort of managing this dichotomy of fatigue is not necessarily a bad thing. It's sort of along for the ride but we should try to focus on maximizing stimulus and minimizing fatigue. There are certain exercise movements and modality that drive a ton of fatigue that really don't drive a lot of stimulus. And so if we can identify the ones that, that drive a lot of stimulus at a minimal cost of fatigue, well, then we can accumulate a ton more quality volume, build muscle, build strength, improve our performance over time. So that sounds great, but how do we actually identify those movements? Examples tend to be helpful. So I'm gonna give an example of a bad stimulus to fatigue ratio, or we can abbreviate it as SFR. Something like 10 by one on a max effort back squat. So there's tension involved, we're moving a pretty heavy weight. Uh, So we're, we're probably gonna get some muscle growth from this, but it's going to be minimal because at the end of the day, you're doing 10 total reps over the course of, you know, gosh, if you do a, a max effort rep, you're probably going to have to rest somewhere three, five, seven plus minutes in between each rep that you do. Uh, so not only is that not very time effective, but, you know, you just spent 30 minutes or more actually an hour doing 10 reps on squat. You might get some growth, but an incredible amount of fatigue. Your joints are probably gonna be fairly stressed. There's even psychological fatigue that comes along with that. So that would be an example of something that drives, uh, as far as muscle growth goes, a very poor stimulus to fatigue ratio. Uh, a Contrary example would be something like, uh, if we're gonna stick with the squat example, if you're looking to grow your quads, something like a heels elevated, you know, slow eccentric, or at least controlled eccentric with maybe a little pause at the bottom uh, squat which, you know, the the slow and control just would ensure that you're managing a weight uh, that you can handle, that your, you know, structure can move efficiently. And then the heels elevated allows your knees to travel forward more, placing more emphasis on your quads as you start to shoot your hips way back, you get into your hips and glutes way more, which is not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to train your hips and glutes, but generally when you're squatting, if the goal in this example particularly is quad growth, the elevated heels allows you to drive a ton of stimulus to the quad. So something like maybe three by 10 with heels elevated, control, eccentric, pause at the bottom, much more stimulus for most people through the quads, and again, the weight is going to be something that you can manage. So your joints should be in a much better position, less fatigue. Hopefully that the example of those two kind of helps paint the picture of stimulus to fatigue ratio. So, okay, that's great for quads, but how do you actually apply this, you know, systematically for every body part? Again, this is where uh, huge appreciation for Mikey's Rotel and, and what he's built. To my knowledge, nobody else has has been able to build an in indices quite like this. So we're gonna run through this briefly because it's it's relevant to BFR training, of course, but it's a foundational kind of structure that you can apply to your training that hopefully, I know you came to this podcast for BFR specifics, um, but you know where it makes sense, try to apply broad training theory um, and this will tie into BFR specifically. So hopefully this drives a lot of value to your training, whether you've got BFR cuffs on or not. Um, so I'm gonna to try to, to breeze through this as fast as possible. Uh, But this is the SFR indices, and there are two sort of scoring groups. We have stimulus and fatigue. Very simple. Now, the way this works is there are categories that help us identify subjectively how much stimulus an exercise gives us, and then there are categories that help us identify subjectively again how much fatigue that exercise comes with. So on the stimulus side, we have mind-muscle connection, pump effect, And muscle disruption and we're going to score each of these you don't actually have to do this on every exercise uh, but it's a good example to walk through and it'll at least put something in the back of your mind as you're training and selecting exercises traditional or bfr moving forward you'll kind of reference this and go oh you know that actually is pretty helpful so i'm going to run through mind muscle connection pump effect and muscle disruption and how the scoring works and then we'll move on to fatigue so mind muscle connection now this is not everything. We hear this term a lot, uh, and a good example of this is you know you might feel your biceps a lot when you flex them in the mirror. Uh, if you were to just you know supinate your wrist, turn your palm kind of towards the sky, and you know f- bring your hand towards your shoulder and then flex it as hard as you can, your bicep is gonna you're gonna feel that. But that's not driving a ton of muscle growth. Uh, so. I'm certainly not suggesting that, you know, the mind muscle connection just feeling it uh is necessarily everything for growth, but the perception of tension is a pretty good north star to include among indic- other indicators which we'll get into um that you're you're training the target muscle, they're actually driving stimulus to that muscle. It is worth noting though that it's this is going to be more relevant on higher load sets, so when you're training with heavier weights. Um, it's gonna be slightly less relevant with BFR. That's why I'm getting it out of the way first um, because with BFR, the weights, the loads are gonna be generally lighter. So it's gonna be harder to kind of feel that perception of tension. If you're doing a set of 30 for the for the, for the first bit, you might not feel it a ton. Uh, whereas something like a set of five, uh, your the perception of tension is gonna be very high. That said, it's still important to factor. So mind-muscle connection, this is part one of three under the stimulus category. And you're gonna rank this in exercise zero to three. And I'll go through examples of all of this uh, shortly. So mind-muscle connection, mind-muscle connection part one, it gets a score out of zero to three. Next would be pump effect. So this is much more relevant with BFR, uh, which we're gonna hit on shortly, but you know what to look for is does the target muscle get a pump? And the pump is just another term for cell swelling. So your muscle cells are actually swelling, uh, which is probably a, a pretty potent contributor of muscle growth itself so the pump think about the pump and the burn in the target muscle they're good indicators that the target muscle is doing work and you're also driving a specific muscle growth stimulus to those muscles so pump effect you're going to rank that zero to three obviously i should have clarified earlier zero would be the worst you know i don't feel any pump three being you know wow my my bicep feels like it's going to pop off again i'll go through examples shortly so part three of the stimulus section is muscle disruption so this can kind of be identified uh by fatigue so reduced capacity to move weight from your first set to your third or fourth whatever set uh did you did your strength fall off that's probably a good you know pretty good indicator um are you does the muscle feel fatigued Uh, the term perturbation gets gets used often it just does something kind of feel off a good example would be if you did you know three by ten on squat or you know a lower body workout that feeling of trying to walk down the stairs you can't quite Uh, put a label on it, but you just know, geez, something is off here. And then a a lagging indicator that you'd be able to tell a day or two after your session is, are you sore? So is there soreness in the target muscle? That's another good indicator that you probably worked the target muscle. Uh, Not saying that you need to be sore or that soreness is necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just an indicator. Okay, cool. So hopefully I'm moving through this quick enough, Uh, but that's muscle disruption. So that's going to get a score of zero to three from the exercise based off, you know, fatigue, perturbation, and soreness potentially as a lagging indicator. So we have mind muscle connection, pump slash burn, and then muscle disruption. Each of those getting a score of zero to three, uh, and that's going to round out our stimulus scoring. So I'm going to go through an example in a second, but you know, if each one of those gets a one, you've got a total of three in the stimulus category. Very obvious example there. I'm pretty sure everybody listening knows how to add one, three times, but Hey, here we are. Okay. On to fatigue. So three categories in the fatigue section. So we've got joint and connective tissue disruption, which I've talked about quite a bit on this show, RPE or rate of perceived exertion, and then unused muscle fall off. Simple. Again, each of these are going to get a score from zero to three, And I'm briefly going to run through each of these three. I promise we'll we'll get moved on to BFR specifically shortly. So under the fatigue category, joint and connective tissue disruption, very relevant to blood flow restriction training. We know that higher loads tend to induce more disruption to joints and connective tissues, which is why BFR can be of benefit because you can train at lighter loads and kind of spare the joints and connective tissues. But separate topic for right now, uh, this joint and connective tissue disruption identifier is Does the exercise or movement cause a ton of pain, you know, in your knees, shoulders, elbows, etc.? And this could be for several reasons, whether it's maybe your technique, it could just be, you know, your own biomechanics. It could be the machine setup. Not every machine is built for every person. Uh, Sometimes the position that you need to be in on that specific machine creates unfavorable force vectors. I've sat on machines before where it just I just couldn't get a rhythm going with it. I don't, you know, there's plenty of machines out there ringing in my head right now that I'm like, I know I don't like that machine. Um, ultimately, you know, we wanna train muscle. And if we're causing a lot of pain in our joints and connective tissues, not only does that risk injury, but it also is gonna reduce our output, uh, which is not a good thing. So that's category one um, under the fatigue section is joint and connective tissue disruption, rank it zero to three. RPE is next. So most people are familiar with this term. Rate of perceived exertion. uh, Very simple. Just how much kind of global fatigue does this cause you? Again, it's not to say that fatigue is bad. It's just something that we need to manage, uh, whether that's in our session or globally over time. And, you know, something like a heavy deadlift is going to be very systemically fatiguing Your, your whole body is going to feel some level of fatigue after you know three, four, five, six sets of heavy deadlifts. And if you were to try to move from there, even in that same session, into something like barbell bent rows, your spinal erectors and just global uh, fatigue level would probably prevent you from getting a ton out of those barbell rows just because the deadlifts completely shot you. So high RPE exercises, of course, aren't bad, uh, but if muscle growth is the goal, we just need to consider fatigue and how it plays into our goals for the remainder of you know the current session we're in and the days and weeks ahead. So RPE category two on the fatigue scale is getting a zero to three ranking and we are on to unused muscle fall off. And this is just referencing muscles that aren't uh, the primary movers or the primary kind of target muscles in the movement. Um, how much fatigue do they accumulate or how kind of worn out do they get by the end of your set sets etc because if we have the assumption that you know the the primary mover in an exercise is going to be getting the most stimulus a good example would be you know a incline bench Uh, we're generally doing that for chest and we'll see that of course the triceps and front delts are involved and they're going to get some growth from it but incrementally compared to, or I guess, insignificant growth compared for the triceps, specifically compared to maybe a tricep extension or a skull crusher. So if we can just make sure to pick movements that drive most of the stimulus to the target muscle, you know, a good example might be a certain machine press. When you do it, you kind of feel your chest, but you feel like your triceps are getting eaten up. But uh, if you just move one machine over the other chest press, the setup, is just a little bit better where you feel mostly chest and minimal triceps, much better exercise for building the chest in most cases. So unused muscle fall off, that's the last category in the fatigue section, and that's gonna get a score of zero to three. So let's bring this all together. We've got three categories for stimulus and three for fatigue. So t- to as a recap, under the stimulus section, we have mind muscle connection, pump effect and target muscle disruption then under the fatigue section we have joint and connective tissue disruption rpe rate of perceived exertion and unused muscle fall off let's go through an example and i'm going to do the math here for you let's let's look at a chest supported hammer row so for the stimulus side mind muscle connection let's say it's you know it's pretty good 0 to 3 we're going to give it a 2 you know we feel a good deal of tension maybe not as as much as some other movements um, but mind muscle connection we're going to give it 2 out of 3 pump effect you're two sets in, and your back uh, feels like it's going to explode. Huge pump effect. We're going to give that a three out of three. Target muscle disruption by your your last set. Your I mean, you can feel a noticeable difference in your back. Strength has has dropped off. Uh, you can feel kind of that perturbation or you know disruption to the back. That's going to get a three. So you've got two for mind muscle, three for pump, three for target disruption. Um, can everybody do the math here? be three plus three plus two. So stimulus is gonna get an eight. And now we're on to fatigue. So joint and connective tissue disruption, zero. You're thinking, you know, this movement feels great. My shoulders feel good, elbows feel good. Nothing, you know, no disruption in the spine. So that's a zero. RPE, we're gonna give a one. You know, you're feeling pretty good. Your chest is supported. So your spinal erectors aren't, you know, you're you're not trying to fight or battle spinal flexion. RPE is a one and then unused muscle fall off. We're going to give this a two, you know, you f- say you feel a good deal. At your biceps, um, is what it is. So zero plus zero for, for joint disruption, one for RPE, two for biceps. So fatigue is going to get a score of three. So we have an eight in the numerator, three in the denominator. So we're going to go eight divided by three, roughly 2.7. I should have just picked a round number for this example. Um, but what we're looking for here is the higher the number that we end up with, the better. So a good way to think about this is you definitely want to be north of one because if we get an eight for a stimulus in that, like that we did in that example, but if we also get an eight for fatigue, you know, eight divided by eight equals one. That means we roughly got the same amount of fatigue as we did stimulus. Not the best trade-off. Um, Again, I know that this is all subjective, but that's sort of until we have certain measurement technology that's uh, maybe we'll be here in 2030 or 2050 that tells us all this information. We kind of have to rely on some subjective, you know, self-analysis. So that is stimulus-to-fatigue ratio wrapped. Um, it's a good framework for identifying productive exercises and movements that stimulate the target muscle without a ton of fatigue spillover. Okay tangent over and we are on to BFR specifically. But again, that's something that you can take with every movement you do. Uh, and of course you can take it with you on your BFR movements. And now we're gonna kind of, now we're, we're filtering through that and we're the layer two is gonna be okay. Now with that in mind, how do we choose exercises for BFR? And there's gonna be a checklist of three things. So in general, you wanna think distal, think slow and think ROM. So let's break each of these down. I promise it'll all make sense. So distal, uh, by distal I mean muscles that are away from the cuff. So for your upper body BFR training, this would be your biceps, triceps, forearms. For lower body, this would be your quads, hamstrings, calves. Now, I'm not gonna go into a full review of blood flow restriction physiology on this episode. If you want more detail there, go back to our one of our first episodes called what is BFR training. Now, but in general, the muscles that are gonna benefit the most from BFR are the muscles that are actually occluded or you know, blood flow to them is restricted. So less blood and less oxygen going to them and no blood leaving the muscle. So because of that, we get cell swelling, we get metabolite accumulation. These all have a favorable impact on hypertrophy and if you know a separate topic of endurance um again for more detail you can reference plenty of our other episodes but for the purposes of this episode think distal now there's a a separate conversation around you know can you build your glutes with bfr or can you build your chest because technically in in, in the example of uh, upper body training your triceps will fatigue faster Uh, So, you know, will you rely more on your chest, et cetera? That's probably a separate episode, Uh, but in general, you know, think distal if you're thinking about maximizing the effects of blood flow restriction training. That said, uh, if you want to simply implement BFR into your existing routine, you know, and you're doing a ton of compound movements, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Pull-ups, push-ups, bench, other multi-joint exercises uh, that involve multiple muscle groups, you can absolutely do those under BFR. And actually some of the exercises that I'm going to reference on this episode are, you know, multi-joint exercises. The suggestion around distal is just because we know uh, from the literature that those muscles will capture probably the most benefit since they are actually the ones that are occluded. Um, But again, this is just a guiding framework. It's not dogma. Uh, And we'll talk more about compound movements under BFR another time. Okay, so that's step one, think distal. Two, think slow, which... This probably sounds odd when you first hear it. What do I mean by that? What I really mean is think about low velocity movements. So we'll often see folks doing, you know, box jumps, power cleans, sprints, med ball throws under BFR. And while I'm not necessarily saying there's no place for this, actually, that might be what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to adhere to specificity for any sort of fitness goals. So if you're training for max speed or power, you probably wanna do so as close to max output as possible. Um, And we've got BFR cuffs preventing blood flow into your limbs, blood and oxygen, uh, just seems to violate that principle. And if you're training for muscle, we know just sprints, box jumps, power cleans, aren't the best strategy. They're awesome and they certainly can help make you faster, more powerful. Uh, But in the context of muscle growth, don't make a ton of sense. So this is why I say to think slow. And it's not to say that you have to physically move slow on the movements you're doing, you know, on squats or whatever else. Just that you should broadly stick to exercises where the resistance, the load, or movement naturally puts you at a kind of controlled velocity. So really just to think about this simply, not sprints, jumps, or Olympic lifts. Okay, so that's point two, think slow. Point three, think ROM. So range of motion. What I mean here is in general, greater range of motion puts more total tension through muscle fibers, which is good for growth. So even aside from BFR, it's a a good principle to remember, but with BFR specifically, we're generally going to be sticking somewhere in the 15-ish to 30, 40 rep range. So this means the loads are going to be light, something like 20 to 30% of your 1RM. And if you pick a movement with you know low range of motion or minimal range of motion, you may never get close enough to failure. Uh, a good example would be something like quarter squats. Some people love to do those. It's one thing when you're super loaded, super heavy loaded, super loaded, uh, when the load is super heavy, um, you know, a set of five or something, you, you would actually understand if you're getting close to failure because the load is so heavy uh, that the tension would be pretty high. But how are you gonna, understand if you're close enough to failure on a set of 30 reps of quarter squats you may end up just more frustrated than anything else because you'll feel like i am fatigued but i also feel as though i could do another 100 reps where greater range of motion uh, just as a principle also helps you adhere to the other points i mentioned because it kind of pushes you to more controlled low velocity movements Um, but again i'll say this a hundred times there's no dogma here Uh, There's probably always cases where there may be an override on these principles, but a majority of time, I think they provide a a pretty good framework for what exercises to think about when you're doing BFR. So bringing this all together, I I promised that I would give specific examples. So let's go through upper body first. So remember, we're thinking distal, we're thinking slow, and we're thinking range of motion. So any bicep curl variation, there's probably a hundred different bicep curl variations. You've got cable curls, Dumbbell curls, barbell curls, uh, of course, curls with different setups on the cable. Uh, And then with triceps, you have cable extensions. Uh, There's a ton of setups you can do for for tricep extensions. Skull crushers would be another one. Uh, Any sort of tricep extension movement. Uh, Dips are another good one. And they are a multi-joint movement. Like I mentioned earlier, there'd be a couple of those. And in general, if you're thinking of focusing on tricep, uh, and you may feel this if you do dips. If you bring your feet, if you try to shift your kind of center of gravity to where your feet are behind you, um, that's going to put more emphasis on your chest. And then if you do the reverse, the, the farther your feet travel forward or your lower body travels forward in front of you, the more emphasis it'll put on your triceps. Um, so dips with a tricep emphasis or tricep push-ups, push-ups with a focus on tricep. These are a couple. Good examples of bicep and tricep movements you can employ under BFR. But again, absolutely no problem at all with compound movements, pull-ups, rows, you know, bench. Uh, but again, I mentioned think distal. So in most cases, the, benef- the muscles that are gonna benefit the most are going to be those that are distal to the cuff. And then lower body, quad extensions are a good one. Uh, for some reason, that exercise seems to be contentious. Some people seem to believe that it is going to make your knees fall off. Uh, but quad extensions, hamstring curls, seated or prone, uh, calf raises, different calf raise variations, squats. Of course, there's a ton of variations of squat that make sense here. Goblet squats. Uh, the nice thing about BFR is that generally the load is lighter, so it, it, even for somebody who can squat, you know, the house, it makes a goblet squat a little bit more realistic of a movement because you're you're working at something like 20 to 30 percent of your one RM. Uh, so just doing the math, if you could squat. You know, 200 pounds—that'd that, be a 40-pound, 40, 40 to 50-pound-ish dumbbell, or gobble uh, you know, kettlebell, whatever you're holding. Not—I'm not saying 200 pounds is squatting the house, but if we scale that up, 400, you're looking at you know maybe an 80 to 100-pound kettlebell. So it makes it a little bit more feasible. Uh, front squat. Of course, I mentioned earlier, elevating the heels will drive a ton of stimulus to the quads, and then we've got. RDLs, uh, reverse or walking lunges. split squats are an awesome one. Uh, there's certainly more I'm not listing here, but this should be at least a good place to start. As far as uh, load and rest goes, think about generally something somewhere around 20 to 30 percent of your one rep max in most cases. So something you can handle about 15 to 30 or 40 reps with uh if you want more detail on this listen to our 30 15 15 15 protocol explained episode uh, but for now that should wrap up this episode so to recap rank exercises based on stimulus and fatigue for any exercise again thanks to the people over at rp dr mike for this one and then as it relates to bfr think distal think slow and think range of motion i hope this episode was helpful Stay strong, have a great week and we'll see you guys on the next episode.